wins it. Oh, yes again for the fourth time tonight. Their number one goal getter, Gabe Clausen. from Bramlett and a shot and a score! Cody Glass starts the scoring and the Predators lead at home. He can be the hero against Daley Kiefer, the left-handed shooter coming in, ran out of room! Januzzi stops them! Hawks win their second best start! Franchise history. Welcome into Pucklandia. Uh, pleased to be joined by Andy Kemper, a uh, longtime Winterhawks fan, broadcaster, and current team historian. Uh, how's uh, how's things going for you tonight, Andy? Not too bad. I mean, it's. Uh... You know, a bit of busy week of hockey last week with four games and five nights, so it's kind of nice to have a little break here, uh, getting ready for the two games in Victoria this weekend. Yeah, that's kind of what made me think about, you know, being a good opportunity to have you on the show when I, I saw that you had made the, the trip to Kent, you know, with yeah. the, the quick turnaround, you know, with the Friday-Sunday the Friday, the Friday Sunday games, not to mention the Wednesday game, but, you know, I figured that would give give us a unique perspective of you know there's only so many of us that were you know I mean I wasn't there but only only so many folks that were in the building all three nights and so I thought that would be fun to uh to to tie in with you and see see uh see what you saw on the weekend yeah I mean in uh three games and three nights uh it's always a tough stretch regardless if you're a fan or a player or a broadcaster or whatever it is um we decided uh with uh some other members of my family to go up on Saturday to watch the game in Kent and um, you know as it turned out it was obviously uh, a trip worthwhile with the Winter Rocks playing as well as he did and getting the win and, and actually having a really good travel both up and back for us so uh, but yeah I mean for the Winter Hawks obviously last week uh, with the shootout loss but uh, you know I thought you know Friday Saturday were the two best games Winter Rocks have played all year um, and maybe it was just a matter of you know the first two games against your longtime rival, and you know getting that energy up and getting uh, the focus up and and uh, being ready to go uh, from the moment the puck dropped. And, and I think it was huge to get the uh, the goal just 20 seconds in uh, on Friday night um, to to get the lead and play with the lead. Um, and then on on Saturday, uh, basically it was special teams for Portland that really won the game for him. So, uh, but I think you know all in all. Um, if you went into the week with uh, thinking you get seven out of eight points, uh, I think uh, anybody in the in the in the league would take that. And Portland, you know, did what they had to do uh, on Sunday night. <laughs> that looked like two teams that had played three games in three nights with some travel involved. Um, the legs weren't quite there, especially defensively. But uh, all things considered, I think uh, I think it went very well for Portland. Yeah, you mentioned special teams, and that's definitely been a story this year for the Winterhawks. I mean, they right now, and it's, it's a small sample size, but not that small. I mean, they're yeah. right now their power play is at 37%, and on the road it's at 47.6, which is, uh, I'm not sure that's sustainable over the course of a year, but I mean, right now, I mean, watch the hell out, right? Well, exactly right. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, you look at the numbers and 
they're just uh, astronomical. I think in the U.S. division, uh, I think uh, it's 17 for for 31 or something like that, just in games against U.S. division teams. Um, it's it's one of those you look at it and you think that you know some nights it looks like it really struggles, but the other night they have two or two power play goals for. Um, that first unit it really moves the puck well. But I think the biggest thing that I'm seeing this year and actually what we saw uh, in the games this weekend was player movement. You know, you don't have guys stationary. You don't have guys just standing there waiting for somebody to pass it to them. You always got people rotating in and out of spots on the ice. Um, you know, Robbie from Delorme has been a big impact up front, going to the front of the net and creating havoc or being at the side of the net for that little drop side pass where you need to make a cross-ice pass or take it to the net and have an opportunity to score himself. And uh, it's it's little things that are going very well. And then on Saturday, we actually saw the second power play unit come up big with a uh, power play goal by Marcus Newen. So it's, you know, the coaching staff has got them well prepared and the execution has been right where it needs to be. Um, but uh, having 10 power play goals in three games this weekend was, was a huge part of the success. Well, and, you know, we talked about special teams not just a power play right and you look yeah. at what they've done shorthanded I mean five shorthanded goals it's just second in the, in the league tied with Red Deer and, and uh, one behind Winnipeg which you know those teams of 31 and one are playing right now as we yeah. as we record this I mean they've they've you know Gabe Clausen's got three goal three shorthanded goals himself I mean they're I mean that'll really take the wind out of the sails too especially uh, what was that Saturday night yeah, yeah, the tying goal uh, was short and a goal up uh, in Kent. Um, and that was, uh, you know, a combination of two things. One, a really good play by Marcus Newen and Center Ice to break up the play. But Seattle was also in the middle of a change and allowed, allowed the two-on-one opportunity. And, um, you know, Clawson's got a bit of a, uh, a, a scorer's touch going for himself right now um, with 13 goals and 10 games for him. And, um, you know, you give an opportunity with a wrist shot from 30 feet and, um, he's going to have a good opportunity to score just about every time. We saw it in both shorthanded goals this weekend were basically identical wrist shots from the same location. So um, it's not often you see teams get or see goalies get beat with wrist shots from distance without much of a screen, but he's got the ability to, uh, to, to put, you know, not only some mustard on it, but put it in the right spot, usually a high blocker over the, over the shoulder. So um, it's, it was definitely huge in both games. Um, and then, well, actually, the short-handed goal on Sunday extended the Hawks' leads to 5-3. to three. Um, But, uh, you know, anytime you can score short-handed goals in back-to-back games um, will help your cause for sure. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Clawson so far this year, I mean, regular listeners in the show know that I love making the 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 Cy Young joke. And right. he's, he's, he's right there. I mean, you're, you're a baseball guy. I mean, yeah. He, he's he's got that cooking thirteen and four. Well, that's what I, I figured it would be a pitcher's duel on against Seattle because Schaefer was in the running for that too. Uh, I think he was I think he was thirteen and four or something along the lines heading into the weekend. Um, important did a pretty good job of shutting him down. So, uh, but thirteen and three, which is even better in baseball. Yeah, not, not as good in right. hockey, but right. Well, and, and yeah, and Clausen's you know there's only one player in the, in the league with, with more goals than he has. And he's, and it's not Bedard. He's tied with Bedard, you know, I mean, right. I mean, Bedard's got a lot more assists obviously, but 
I mean, you know, coming into this year, I mean, folks ask me, and, and they ask me on shows like this too, I mean, what I expected out of this Winterhawks team, and I, I, I did really didn't know what to expect and certainly didn't expect this. I mean, what, I mean, what, what, what were your expectations for, for Gabe Clausen coming in this year? Well, you know, Gabe was a guy last year that had a really good year, um, I think, and I, I expected him to, to to score goals. I didn't expect him to score goals at the pace he he's going, and I don't think it may not be sustainable either to keep it at a you know over a goal a game. Um, that's Oliver Bjorkstrand territory when you start looking at that. Um, but I think you know, I, I thought forty was in was in the realm of possibility. Um, and I, but now I'm thinking that 50 is in that realm of possibility. Um, but for the team itself, I mean, you know, during preseason, um, if you would have said that they would be sitting at 11-1-1-1 after 14 games, I probably would have shook my head and said, I'll take that bet. Um, and so they've, they've definitely, you know, exceeded what the expectations I had from them early year, not only as a team, but individually with guys like Clausen uh, putting up the kind of numbers he's putting up. I mean, it's that's interesting. You mentioned you know Bjorkstrand, and you think back to the, you know, some of those those big guns, those those household names that you know we were fortunate to to have here in town over the years, and you know it seemed like during those times they had a definite top line, you know, and yeah, you'd have you know there was a time when you had Niederreiter and Berchie, not different lines or whatever, but. You know, right. it, it seems like the last couple of years they've had success really spreading guys out and having, you know, kind of depth where you have some of your best guys on the third line and, and, and still finding ways to, 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 to feed a guy like Clawson. I mean, is that kind of kind of how you feel about it as far as the way they've, they've spread it out over, over, over the lines and, and kind of, you know, mixed it up? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit more by committee than what it was maybe in the past. Uh, but I think, you know, from being around Mike Johnston since uh, he came to Portland uh, back in 2008, um, he's a guy that, you know, d- doesn't necessarily keep lines together, like three guys together for a long stretch of time, but he keeps pairs of guys together. You know, um, you saw it with, uh, um, you know, Cody Glass and, and Kiefer Bellows. You saw it with, um, right now, uh, Stefan and Clausen being paired together. So he likes to keep, you know, pairs of guys consistently together and then maybe rotate some other guys around the wing. This year he's been pretty consistent on keeping the line combinations as they are because they've all been producing. Um, you don't get much drop-off um, when you go from, you know, one, two, and three to, to four. And it's really hard sometimes to determine which is one and which is two. Um, so it's it's – I think they look for players that fit – the mold of what the Winterhawks want to be, um, regardless of uh, they play center or wing. They want guys who can skate. They want guys who can execute at speed. They want guys who can make plays and think at speed. And I think you're seeing that up and down the lineup, regardless of which line's on the ice. Yeah, definitely that that depth has been you know huge for them, and you know it's kind of for me. I, I, I use the phrase over on the internet that you know Marcus Nguyen is a, a the, kind of the straw that stirs the drink for me and and I figured you know well, let me go look I bet he's I bet he's you know leading the team in scoring or right there and he's and he's not he's and, right it, but but it's contributing mightily and you know it seems like it seems like the timing 
on his contributions are, are key. Like when they need something to happen, when they need a momentum change. I mean, for me, like he's kind of under the radar, but or maybe under the radar for the last couple of years. This is coming out party, but you know, I really like what that that kid's bringing to the table right now. Well, yeah, he's a guy that that he leads the team in plus minus. I think he's plus eleven right now. Um, and so, and that line with uh, with Jack O'Brien centering. Uh, has been asked a lot of nights to be the shutdown line against the other team's top forwards. Um, and if you look at, you know, they, uh, Newman's plus 11 and Jack's plus 9, um, you know, Newman has seven goals in the season. Uh, O'Brien, I think, has 14 points or 15 points in 14 games. So not only are they doing the job against the other team's top forwards, but they're getting things done offensively. And I think where Newman really shines for me is shorthanded. Um he really pressures the puck well. He's he's aggressive without getting out of position. He's got the speed once he got gets the puck to break loose and create opportunities like he did for the first goal in Seattle on, on Saturday night. Um, and, you know, when he first first came into town the first year during the pandemic year um, as a 16-year-old, um, the first thing he noticed was that he could really skate. But the, the rest of his game hadn't really filled out yet. Now you're starting to see all of the things come together and you're starting to see um, his uh, ability to uh, not only score goals but set up goals, uh, be a good checker, um, good on PK. You know the type of player that Mike Johnston covets, and uh, really you know has the best in a, in all worlds of throwing him out there whenever he needs him in whatever whatever position he happens to be in. You know, apologies to anybody that's listening. Listen to last unfiltered and bringing up the same point, but it it seems like. It seems to me it's it's just kind of a weird world that we've been living in for the last couple of years, obviously, and and so these guys that are you know 18s and 19s that are contributing on this team, it's almost like we didn't see him as 16s and 17s, like because we kind of didn't, and so right. you know a guy like Nguyen, a guy like From Delorme, it seems like we they just fell out of the sky at 19, and here they are, and we didn't see them like you know build to this you know point like we would in previous years i mean so it's it, again it, it for me it was hard to have expectations for him but you know it's kind of but on the other hand it makes sense because this is what we expect these guys to to do at 19 that have been here the whole time and been working with the, with uh with this coaching staff yeah i mean uh, the pandemic year the 24 game schedule i mean with the uh, four us players going to play in the ushl open up opportunities for some of these players to get at least some level of experience in the Western Hockey League game action. Obviously not total experience because there was no fans, there was no crowds. You know, you're playing in an empty rink. A lot of nights it felt like uh, you know a scrimmage. Um, I was one of the few people that was allowed to be in to watch those games in person at the Coliseum. Um, and it was, you know, for me it was tough to even watch because it's like there's no atmosphere whatsoever. Um but uh, for the players, it was an opportunity for them to come in and make sure they could, uh, you know, play at this level at the, at the speed that it needed to be played at. And then last year, after about the 15 game mark, you really saw guys like um, Marcus Newman and Aiden Litke, um, uh really step up their games and really be huge contributors for the Hawks down the stretch last year, which just about led them to the U.S. Division title, one point back of Everett. Um, and uh, that, I think, the, the 24 games and the first 15 really set them up for where they are now. 
as major contributors to on a team that uh, you know at least if you look at standings right now, maybe one of the teams has a chance to contend to, to be in Kamloops in May. Yeah, and that you know, and that same kind of concept to me applies to guys like James Stephan and and Jack O'Brien who came in as pretty highly touted 16s. I mean, you know, in a long long line of of listed American players that you know most of the major junior teams didn't think they could get, and this this coaching staff has a way of recruiting these guys and bringing them in. And then, yeah, it seemed like you, you go under undercover for a couple of years, and then you know here they came out of the other side of the tunnel. Yeah, yeah. I think if you looked at the the two sixteen year old seasons for those two, I mean, uh, Jack O'Brien uh, got an opportunity to play uh, with uh, you know a guy that uh, is now in the NHL and Seth Jarvis uh, on a line quite a bit as a sixteen year old, and uh, you know really kind of took off in that year where I think Stefan struggled a bit with the adjustment. Um, the USHL kind of had a, a little bit of a reverse effect uh, for Stefan. He went and came back and re- his game really excelled and and Jack O'Brien struggled a bit last year coming back from the USHL's uh, experience. But, uh, you know, O'Brien to me has been, I think, has to be in the MVP category for the first 14 games uh, for what he's done offensively, defensively, leadership, um, because he has that kind of ability and the shot to get there, but uh, you're right. Getting those, you know, U.S.-born kids, the undrafted kids, in um, the guys that uh, you know can can fill out and augment your roster um, really for free, because <laughs> uh, any team could have had him at that point. Um, are has always been a huge part of what uh, has been a, a part of Portland's success throughout the years. Um, and then you look at this year. You talk about U.S.-born kids coming in, and you know, we got Alex Thompson, the 16-year-old defenseman. Um, you know, not getting a chance to be in the lineup every night, but when he's in there, he's contributing and, and looking like he's going to be a solid performer. And it reminds me back to when Clay Honest first came as a 16-year-old from Minnesota. Um, similar kind of player, um, you know, good skater, good offensive ability, and a, and a guy that uh, isn't the biggest guy in the world. Um, and you look at, you know, Honest's 16-year-old season, I think he only had six assists, didn't have a goal, you know, in 40-some games as a 16-year-old, and then he winds up leaving as the number one, you know, scoring U.S.-born defenseman in Winterhawk history. So um, I see a lot of similarities in what Thompson brings and what Hannes brought. Uh, and, you know, those U.S.-born kids are, you know, if you can get them um, and they turn out to be huge contributors, I mean, it's just even more, more power to the team. Yeah, and, and you know, and it's a – it's a league-wide thing. It's, I mean, you know, all of us outside of hockey went through the same struggles in the same time period. But, you know, you look at, you look at, a, you mentioned Clay Hannes, and you know, the reason, I, for my money, the main reason that, you know, he walked away from the NCAA route and came to Major Junior was losing his 15-year-old year, you know, to, to injury and and needing to get some games and try to catch up with his development, and then to lose, you know, the time that you know all of us lost during during that season i mean er, uh you know to, to to further lose his his uh development time i mean it had to just be you know compound one on the other so it'll be it'll be interesting to see what he does you know moving forward with uh as we get back to normal and as he gets ice time you know whatever wherever he ends up yeah he's he's a smart player uh he, you know he plays the game the right way um you know, Reeds plays well, can join the join the rush, obviously. Um, power play quarterback kind of guy. Um, I think he has a good opportunity to be a good 
at least minor pro player. Um, I think it's a, it's a long road for him to get to an NHL level, but I think I think you know anything can happen. We've seen stranger things, so. But uh, I, I think he's he was one of my favorites for the last few years for Portland, without a doubt. How old was Thomas Hickey when he made the Islanders? Like thirty? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, he came back as thirty. He he played as a he played as, as a younger guy, but wound up making it back to the NHL later uh, after about five or six years away from it. I mean, just to just to date myself, he was you know dominating this league when uh, when when I started watching uh, yeah. these guys, and I remember just falling in love with, with his game, you know, in Seattle and just thinking like that that's that that's the kind of defenseman that that I want and then it you know always kind of frustrated me that he, that it didn't work for him and 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 then finally it did. So. Right. Well, I think there's you know, it's it's weird the situation you think guys at the who dominate at the junior level, you think will just have an automatically take that to the next level and be uh, an NHL, you know, regular, not necessarily a star. But just a night in, night out guy that's going to be in your lineup. Um, some guys you think, oh, these are shoe ins that never really pan out, or at least maybe not at the beginning, and then maybe have an opportunity later. And there's other guys that uh, you look at it and say, you know, I don't see this guy, you know, being a pro player, you know, when they first come in. But, you know, next thing you know, they're playing in the NHL and they're a regular contributor. Um, a guy for me, like Cody McLeod, uh, when he played for Portland, I mean, not a big star in Portland, decent player, you know winds up playing for you know 10 or 11 years in the NHL um, so that's what I love about junior hockey is you never know what any of these guys are going to develop into um, and or even from the time they come in as a 16 year old to what they leave as a, as a 19 20 year old um, the progression is just incredible that that half a season of Rob Klinkhammer if he if, yeah. he, if he doesn't come to Portland as a Overage cast off. I mean, you know, he. I don't know how much money he made on the Oilers, but it's more than I do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah. This is. I guess that's kind of the beauty of these long form shows. We can go down these these various rabbit holes. Um, yeah. That's you know. That's when you're around the game as much as uh, we've been. I mean, there's lots of history, lots of uh, uh, players that uh, you know jump out to you for various reasons. Well, and and that's kind of kind of where I wanted to start. We just ended up talking about the yeah. the, the X's and O's to to start out. I mean, I don't think we've had you on the show uh, individually, as more as a panel, right? For for fans that that aren't familiar with your journey, I mean, you've uh, between being a fan, a broadcaster, and 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 now a historian. I mean, you've been kind of along for this ride since uh, since I came to Portland in '76, right? Yeah, I was uh, I was ten years old in uh, 1976 when Rocks moved to town, and uh, my dad was a was a hockey fan. Used to go to the Buckaroo games. I went to some of those games when I was really young, you know, four or five, six years old. Um, and then uh, there used to be another team in Portland called the Junior Buckaroos, which was a, a junior age um, hockey program um, feeder system for the for the Bucks at one point that uh, my sister's first husband played for. Um, and so I grew up around the sport. I didn't play it. I uh, was never active in playing the sport, but just grew up with it. Um, and then started uh, when Warriors came in 76, you know, every game. Um, got season tickets, I think, the second or third year. And I think all told in the 47 years of the franchise, I think I've missed 
approximately about 35 or 40 home games um, during that stretch. So I, I, I don't know of many people who have seen as many games as I have. And, you know, when I was a kid, I used to sit in the stands and, um, you know, do play-by-play either in my head or out loud, which annoyed some people around me. Um, but uh, uh, that was always kind of a little fun side thing I did. And, um, and then when the opportunity got came up for me to uh, to work with Scooter uh, as his color analyst, um, that just kind of opened the door for me to be part of the organization. And I've kind of grown with it and really enjoyed my time behind the microphone, um, working with Scooter and then with... Uh, with Todd Roman, uh, Scooter's son, um, and then with Evan Richardson, the final year. Um, it's been a great ride, and and having the team give me the opportunity to stay with the program and uh, do things like uh, statistical stuff, um, you know, game video review for scoring opportunities and making sure the scoring is correct on the game sheets, uh, making sure the stats are correct uh, for game night stats as well as the media guide. Uh, it's it's just been an opportunity that uh, I cherish and uh, I've got to know so many great people in the sport, so many great people in the organization, uh, players, staff, uh, fans, uh, scouts, opposing teams, uh, personnel. So it's, it's, it's really been, um, you know, a blessing for me and uh, something that I, I don't, I don't take lightly and I, I really cherish the opportunities I got from doing this with the team. Yeah, when when I started following this this uh, this club, and again it was, you know, the we, I already dated myself once, but I, I saw the the very end of the of the Cody McLeod era, as you mentioned, so yeah. sort of some playoff goals, and you know I really yeah. liked that the Scooter was here for for twenty five years, and Dan Folwick about the same, and you know I wasn't right. sure when you came on, but I was like this is a really strong tradition, and I love this, and then and all those guys were gone. <laughs> You know, it was all it was all over at that point, and then you know we had those those rough years, and that you know when you were doing play by play, and I can I can only yeah. imagine uh, you know what that was like as far as uh, you know a lot of a lot of rough nights as far as not having a, a a pretty picture to paint on the radio. Yeah, there was a few nights there that uh, I contemplated you know kicking the plug out and calling it a technical difficulty for a night, but. Uh, um, you know, I, I still enjoyed calling the games, even if the result wasn't necessarily the, what we wanted. Um, you know, I think my first year doing play-by-play, the team won 11 games uh, out of 72, right? Uh, so you, you, you really relish the wins. Um, but still, outside of that, the, the, the things I got from it, from being around the players and the coaching staff, and, um, you know, that part of it was still really rewarding for me. Um, would have loved to call more wins. But, you know, going from that to, you know, winning the league championship in 2013 with that kind of a team, um, to me was was the sweetest reward that I could have because it was like you know, I went from the lowest of the lows to the highest of highs in five years, basically, or six years. Um, and just being able to be part of, of that was, was the reward for – that kind of a season calling the games when you just hope some nights we scored a goal because I think we got shut out 17 times that season so <laughs> sometimes it's like let's just keep it close boys let's make it fun yeah yeah I mean you know Curtis Mooka for president but 
yeah you know yeah, and sure. and yeah we've we've talked you know before you know mostly off air about you know some of the some of the stories of that championship run and and you know yeah. how much how much fun it was i mean i don't know if you if you have anything uh you know you 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 comfortable sharing here of uh you know some of those some of those times but if if you do you know feel free but but yeah, yeah to, to, but you're right to see that you know pendulum swing i mean i mean he couldn't couldn't have swung any further i mean you know from a championship right. team to you know almost almost folding and you know the 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 ron robinson having to step in and you know un unfire ken hodge and whatever else happened in, during that time period i mean it's 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 a long time you know the guys in lethbridge don't like to talk about you know their dark period either but i mean it was there it affected us i mean you know it's still yeah. you know i mean you were still carrying it in our pockets to a certain extent yeah, you know, in, in all honesty, um, with, during that era uh, with uh, with the ownership group prior to Bill Gallagher buying the team, um, there were things that that worked great. But I will I will honestly say that for my situation, they treated me with first class the entire way. Um, they they gave me freedom as a broadcaster to do things. Um, they allowed me to you know kind of set my own rules and guidelines for travel um and i probably i probably you know i'm, I'm going to say this in, in jest but for the broadcasters who followed me i set them up pretty well because i negotiated things like getting my own room on a road trip um and so i think that still holds true for most trips i think i think uh, the broadcaster still gets his own own room and hotel so nick i'm sorry if that's not true but uh um you know, I, I I will say it wasn't it wasn't great with that ownership group, but it's the way they treated me um, wasn't an issue. Um, and that's probably the reason I stuck around. Is that uh, you know I didn't I wasn't privy to some of the other things that happened behind the scenes with the rest of the organization, and I didn't want to be. Um, but uh, for that part, it would treat me well. As far as you know, stories go. I mean, there's so many things that uh, that that happened during that championship season that, you know, were so memorable and, um, but, you know, I, I can't really think of anything that, you know, that just jumps out at me. To me, it's all about the, the interactions I had with the players on that team and watching them come in when they were, uh, 16, 17 year olds, like a Derek Pouliot and a Ty Rowdy, a Brendan Leipzig, uh, Nick Batan, and just kind of watching them grow up, uh, in the organization and becoming, the dominant players that they were and, you know, bringing in Seth Jones for that one season and what he brought to the team and um, watching how he, how his season went, which was so much different than most every other player on the roster because he was looked at as potential number one overall NHL draft pick. And, you know, every, every place he went, there was people who wanted to have, take his time, you know, interview requests and media requests and different things that, uh, most players in the organization didn't have to go through. And the way he handled that, and you could tell that, you know, with his father being an NBA player, that uh, he'd been coached a little bit about how to interact with the media and how to how to handle those kind of situations. Um, and But, you know, I will honestly say that uh, when Derek Pouliot and Brennan Leipzig were 16-year-old rookies, they almost didn't survive because they set me, me on the bus and they, uh, they, they were always at each other. They were brothers, right? Loved each other, hated each other, always constantly picketing on each other. 
and there was a few bus trips I almost murdered them. So, um, but uh, in the end, they're two of my favorite players ever to be around, just because of their personalities and who they are. Um, and that part of it to me is the things that I will always remember and take with me. Not necessarily the results, which were great, but it was just those interactions and. And I can honestly say that, you know, in my 47 years of hockey, um, not for what he did on the ice, because that was awesome, but the kind of person he was and the way he handled himself when he came into the organization on a team that was struggling to becoming the all-time goal-scoring champion in the playoffs for the Western Hockey League with 50 goals in his career. Um, but interviewing him on the ice in Saskatoon, um, or check that, I'm sorry, in Edmonton when we won the Edge and Out Cup, and you know, I first question I asked him is said, you know, end of end of your career, how does this feel? And he looked at me in the eyes and says, Kemper, we've been through so much. And that to me felt great for him to not only honor what he did, but what my part was with the team as well. Yeah, no, I love it. And you know, I, I definitely wanted to, to get into Tyratty once you we mentioned that. And yeah. you know, it's you know, I mean, the, the, the year that the Trailblazers won the, the lottery and, and had the number one pick, you know, so did the Winterhawks, but people didn't notice that and <laughs> had to trade back because no one was interested in coming here at the time. And, by the way, yeah. go down that rabbit hole, that that uh, draft, uh, Bantam draft class, I mean, none of those guys really turned out, but uh, that top top batch, but I digress. And right. in Tyratty, the second overall pick in that year, and – and he's like, yeah, I'll go. I'll I'll come and I'll play. And you know, I mean, I I'm, I'm putting words in his mouth, but you know, I'm just right. imagining what went on in his head. Like, yeah, we can change this thing around. And you know, I've mentioned on this show, you know, over the years, first playoff goal was Game Seven overtime goal in Spokane, and last yep. playoff goal was that short, you know, the, well the last two, then the same penalty kill and uh, Game Six in Edmonton. And so you bookend those those fifty playoff goals with. You know, I mean, you, you you want to break into the league, you want to get established. We'll score a game seven overtime goal, right? You know, I mean, yeah, you want to make your mark. Like that's 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 how you start, right? Yeah, and you know, and and, and he just had that that knack, the big goal, right? Uh, one of my favorite goals was against Kamloops in the playoffs, where he was shorthanded and he intercepted and went in and did. And uh, and scored the uh, basically the insurance goal to wrap up a series. And his reaction, um, I think he probably tells you he's more embarrassed by the reaction because uh, uh, he was like you know kind of jumping and running at the same time. And uh, but just the the excitement that he had and um, being able to score those those huge goals at the the most opportune times uh, really set him apart. And um, but like I said, for me, it's more about uh, getting to know him personally away from the rink and. Uh, his family as well. Um, his dad still uh, is in contact with me every now and then. He sends me messages every now and then. So um, it's it's really that part of it. But uh, man, could that guy snipe? <laughs> you know, we as as uh, you know, society progresses and there's things we can't say anymore. Um, still, the Airdrie assassin or no? Oh, I would still go with that for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt that was that might be the my might be my favorite nickname I ever came up with on the fly. Let's put it that way. Yeah, uh, he he's he will always be the Airdrie assassin. No, I'm uh, I'm 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 supportive of it as as well. I mean, <laughs> there's, you know, I I I, 
you know, I I am of the uh, again. The show isn't about me, but yeah, there's definitely things that I don't say anymore that I, I once did. But uh, yeah, but I know I like that one as a nickname for sure. No, that's it just it's just the perfect description. So, where 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 do, where do you want to go with this? You want to you want to keep going with with glory days? You want to go back to the current product? I mean, it's uh, it's well. It's, I think one thing that's interesting too that people don't, you know, I, I'm the team historian title kind of came about because, you know, I'm, I'm a guy that keeps track of stuff, right? Things that are just weird, obscure stuff. Um, and I don't know if some fans, you know, kind of understand <laughs> what drives me to do that a little bit. Um, I've always been, uh, a stat geek, if you will, from when I was a kid, uh, growing up, because uh, you know, back in the old days, back in the olden days, um, we used to get the hockey news every week, right? Hockey news had NHL game recaps, all the scoring summaries for every game that was played in the previous week or whatever it was. And even though the hockey news had scoring summaries for every team that you could look at to see who had who got what goals and what assists. I would go through all of the scoring summaries and for each team and keep track of goals and assists on like note paper and pen, right? So I love going through the scoring summaries to see, you know, who had what goal, when. And that's really led me to where I am now where not only like do I like keep track of the basic stuff, I like to keep track of things that I'm curious about. And usually when I find something I'm curious about, I have to go and find and dig through all of the archives to get all the history for it so I can tell you things like you know the Winterhawks have never lost a game on Halloween night in their team history or that you know Jack O'Brien has 33 career goals and five of them have scored against Mason Bopit you know um, just things that I was always curious about and be like you know what wonder what happened on this situation and so I would take the time and go through it so I probably have way too many spreadsheets and stuff but that's the kind of thing that interests me about the sport and what keeps me involved and and I love being able to find those little nuggets that someone else may not know but I was curious about it so I looked it up um, so that gives you a little background on how I really kind of got involved with the team because I used to do this kind of stuff in an old email forum um, on Yahoo email groups for the Western Hockey League that actually had about 500 members at one point in the uh, um, late 90s, early 2000s before Twitter and all the rest of the social media worlds took over. And Scooter was on there and he used to read my statistical recaps and games and stuff and that's how I got to know him because I'd never re- I didn't know him before that. I wasn't one of the fans who would go up and introduce myself or go to the pizza parties and hang around and chat with Scooter. Um, but... Uh, he, he, he reached out to me and said, hey, uh, we're doing TV a couple nights. Would you, do you want to come in and help us with stats? Sure. And then it wound up turning into a broadcast job. So um, that's for the people who are curious about, you know, how do I have this information or why do I know this information? It really just comes down to weird things that I'm curious about that I have to figure out and then I wind up keeping track of it for the rest of the time just so I can keep up with it. So there's a little background, even more history on me there. Well, and and that's definitely fun, and you know, there all, all these things have to come from some sort of source. I mean, you know, ESPN yeah. has staff, you know, Elias or whatever. Like they have people that 
that work on that kind of stuff. You know, when I'm yeah, when I'm watching the the the, the Kansas City Royals and the San Francisco Giants in the World Series, and you know, Nolan Bumgarner's doing stuff that Cy Young did. You know, like how are you going to beat that for one thing? And then somebody's got to dig that up. Like, oh, this is this is the number Cy Young put up, and you're like, Jesus, right? And yeah. And we have that, right? Because, again, you know, in baseball, for, well, you know, for 100 years in that case, I mean, we, you know, we wrote all that stuff down so we could remember it. Yeah. And in junior hockey, you know, we don't really have that nearly as much. And then you have filled that void. And so then you find, you know, interesting things that, you know, I mean, I love that kind of stuff. Like, oh, wow, we haven't, yeah. that's, that's a thing that hasn't been done since, you know, Wayne Babbage in 79 or whatever like you know right. and and so that's it's uh I'm sure it's it's it, you know a, a really labor intensive but you know hopefully there's a little bit of payoff sometimes well I mean the payoff for me is that uh I still are involved with the organization and I still do stuff for them that they respect and want to see so um that for me is the payoff um and you know one of my you know stories favorite stories is back uh, when I first was a color guy I think my second year second year doing color I uh, was scooter on the bus and, and uh, this was during the Mike Williamson era when he was coaching and uh, we're in a hotel in Medicine Hat and one of the things I used to track back in those days when it was just a single official system was I tracked penalty calls by officials and when they made the calls so I'd, every every game in the league, I'd go through the officials and when what penalties they called and when, because I always thought that was an interesting thing. You can tell which referees maybe swallowed their whistle in the third period, which one called obstruction more than physical penalties. And I was doing the stats in the hotel room, and you know Willie walked in, and you know he's sitting around just you know hanging out the hotel room, just killing time. And he's like, "What are you working on?" And so I told him, and he and he smacked me. He smacked me on the side of the head and said, why haven't you shared this information with me before? I need this before every game. And so from then on, I would give him a report on who the official was that night and, their, and what their trends were on penalty calls. Um, but it was just, his reaction was, you have this data and you haven't been sharing it with me? Who are you? What are you doing? Um, but the, I, unfortunately, I can't track it anymore because there's two officials and it's never the same pair, and you can never tell who called what when. Um, but uh, that's just, just some funny stories that happened that, you know, things I was just tracking for my own personal thing that I never really thought too much that the coach might care about. Um, he's like, he's like, I want to know, you know, if this referee is going to call, uh, call, you know, obstruction minors in the last five minutes or not. So kind of interesting. Yeah, no, that's 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 a fun one. I, uh, I I've heard some some Willie stories. I think from you in particular, yeah. and I hadn't heard that one. That's pretty, that's pretty that's pretty good. I like that. And, yeah. and you you actually could. I mean, you you could still track that. I mean, they, we do that as you know with the fancy stats. Not so much in this league, right. but maybe internally. But you know, with like defense pairing, and so when this guy's on the ice with this guy, this is the results. And yeah, when they're on the ice with a different guy, you get these results. So you kind of could i mean you wouldn't be like as as uh you know accurate i mean you know part of this too is interesting to me is i mean there's obviously life outside of hockey and there's you know what pays the bills and you know we all have day yeah. jobs and you know is this a game to where through work and you're you're learning the magic of the spreadsheet and you're like you know what i could use this for 
I mean, it is, certainly it wasn't a thing where you're tracking this stuff with a with a pen and paper before that, right? Right, right. No, it's uh, definitely spreadsheets, and but it's a lot of manual entry. Um, obviously, I've gotten much better with Excel over the years uh, due to various work positions. Uh, but when you know I was broadcasting, I was a, a field sales rep for a software company uh, whose sales territory happened to overlap much of the Western Hockey League sales territory. Our, our travel territory, so I was able to combine hockey trips with um, business trips, since I was doing that full time as well as broadcasting. Um, I'm now I'm now in a position where I'm uh, you know the general manager of an organization uh, that builds electronics here in in Oregon. So full time job, I can't get away from it that much. But I think there's a lot of that that carries over. There's things that I do that I track for my regular job that are based off some of the things I might attract in hockey and statistical metrics and the KPIs, or as we call them, the key process indicators for our work, which are uh, might be tied back to some of the stuff I used to do for hockey. Um, I wouldn't consider yourself my an, an analytics guy, but I think that would have been something that if I was younger, that would have probably pursue uh, within the sport if I had that opportunity. You're, you're saying there's guys getting called for a trip at where you work? <laughs> yeah, well, there's guys I think I'd like to penalize some nights, but yeah. <laughs> but no, they're just uh, different things as far as, you know, statistical trends more than anything else. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, a bigger, broader conversation, and, I, you know, more and more with the, with the advanced stats and those things. And yeah. And I'm very interested in all that stuff, but you know we don't have access to it at our level i mean we barely get shots no. on goal right i mean if we ever right. do and so i don't know I, I have a hard time getting into it but i mean i if if it was there i mean i believe that the teams have all the stuff internally and they have accurate numbers but you know nothing that we'll ever see right uh yeah i can tell you that you know from from going from looking at uh just basic stuff on a score sheet on a night in night out basis um, you know, goals, assists, plus, minus, um, penalties, those kind of things. Um, there's enough corrections that are made on a game sheet every night that trying to to keep track of things like time on ice and um, those kind of things, I, it's just not feasible, I think, at the Western Hockey level, unless you had some way of automating it, which is what the, which, which is what the NHL has. But I think most players in NHL actually wear a sensor, which, audit, which gives them the idea, the time that they're actually playing. Uh, I know that uh, uh, Richie Campbell, and I'm not sure, I think they wear them during the games as well as during practice, that they wear monitors that uh, track things like heart rate and different, you know, vital signs that I think might take some of that and they use some of it for some of their some of their findings for the coaching staff. But uh, right now, um, most, most game sheets um, have, have enough issues just doing looking at goals and assists uh, and plus minus to be correct. Um, that's one thing that, you know, I work with Nick Merrick on is uh, making sure that at least the basic stats that we have, um, not not count, not including face-offs or shots on goal because none of us want to take the time to go through every, every game to keep track of that, um, make sure it's accurate. But uh, basic things like goals, assists, plus minus are correct. Um, and it's... Usually every game there's at least one or two things that has to be fixed on a score sheet. Yeah, you know, and to rewind a little bit too, I mean, that's even when you were, you know, 
doing uh, the color an analysis for the team and, and, yeah. and even play-by-play, -play, I mean, you know, having that, you know, day job, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's always tricky to find that balance between, you know, the, the mechanic drives a beat-up car. Like, it's, it, you know, as far as having something, right. the thing that you love and the thing that you make money off of, I mean, most people try to keep that stuff separate. And yeah. it seems like you've you've had success with that over the years. I have. And, uh, you know, I, I will say to you that the, the, the other part of that three-legged stool is in the work in balance is family. Um, I've had a very patient wife and and daughter who allowed me to to go and do games and travel and um, and be able to you know take time away on weekends you know when there's three games and three nights uh, where you're not at home very much um, so that part of it is huge also and I think that's part that's forgotten about in some cases too um, hockey season is it's not a it's not an eight to five Monday through Friday job it's uh, you know some days are going to be really short and you're going to have days off during the week and other than weekends you're you're going from you know one or two one or two o'clock in the afternoon till two o'clock in the morning uh depending on what it is so um it's a lot of sacrifice um and i've been very thankful for you know the people that i that are in my life that allowed me to do that and then also employers um that allowed me to take time to do hockey stuff as well um the current job i'm at now when i first started there i was still pretty heavy into the broadcasting games and when the playoffs came around I went to every playoff game home and away and they encouraged it um, go you have a laptop you can work from the hotel um, be a part of it and so that really you know helped me finding employees and their employment that uh, that was open to that kind of um, you know travel schedules and as long as I was able to you know keep up with my work and be a contributor to the organization they, they thought it was great and they loved that they could say that, hey, uh, you know that guy over there? Yeah, he's he works. For, he broadcasts for Winterhawks. In fact, they still say that today. They they, they introduce new people. Oh yeah, he used to be the broadcaster for the Winterhawks. And I'm like, really? It's okay. I'm I'm I'm, I'm through that now. Um, but uh, they still they still think it's a, a thing of pride for them as well. Well, I mean, and obviously that's fun, and and everybody likes to 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 be supported. But I mean, yeah, you know that was in the, the before times i mean you you look back now at, at you know all of us like yeah we don't have time not to go i mean and you know playoffs i mean you don't know i mean how how, how long was it in between playoff games you know here in portland especially while you you're right. doing play by play you got to jump yeah. on that and then maybe we don't have playoffs as a league for a couple of years no matter how damn good you are so right you know, for the fact that to to look back when we took all these things for granted, potentially that they would, you know, be encouraging of you. I mean, I think to to do your thing. Well, now especially looking back, like I don't have time not to go. I mean, you have to, right? You're seeing it uh, also the uh, the change in how the team is covered. Um, I mean, obviously, it's you don't get the the television coverage that we got years and years past. Uh, you don't get the newspaper coverage that you get. So it's a lot of opportunities for like yourself with with this podcast um, and other people doing similar kind of podcasts or or people who are um, the bloggers, if you will, 
the vloggers, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call them, is open up opportunities for other people to be part of it in that regard. Um, I mean, I, I, I may have had the first Western Hockey League blog ever when I started writing it back in the 2006, 2007 range. Um, cause that's when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a journalist. That's what I wanted to be when I was growing up, but I realized that it didn't pay very well. Um, and <laughs> uh, so that's what I got into writing the blog and I actually got into where I was getting, you know, uh, I think in the heyday I was getting over a million views a year on my blog. Um, which was pretty impressive. Um, but you know, and then it kind of took off of the blogging stage, but now we're seeing things like, uh, you know, Andy Eyed up in Seattle who, uh, did stuff with the Thunderbirds now working for the Kraken. Um, the few other folks in Portland, like Josh, Josh Kreitzer and what he's doing yourself with the blog and, and, and the podcast and different things that you've done. Um, I think it's, I think it's great to see people getting an opportunity to, to, to chase their dreams a little bit and be part of that as well. Um, that's separate from what the normal media channel would be. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, as, as again, as things evolve and there's this, you know, opportunity to open up or whatever. I mean, honestly, if somebody else did the show, I'd just listen to him do it and I'd just I'd right. put my head down and go back to work, but no one else was doing it. So I was like, I, I guess. Right. I mean, there's, there's a void there, you know, as a guy that consumes shows like these. And so here we are, but. No, but it's yeah. been fun. I mean, you know, guys like yourself, I mean, you know, guests all over the league, like it's, uh, you know, keep, keeps it interesting. It, uh, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of fun to, to have those, those connections and to, to get to hear those stories. Yeah. Todd Roman and I joked that we were going to do a, we we're going to start our own podcast, but it was going to be anything but hockey. So we we're just going to make random, random musings about anything in the world besides hockey. But we did that never went anywhere. So. <laughs> because we're getting Graham Kendrick involved too because the three of us used to just sit around before games and just talk about random crap and uh, making each other laugh so we figured if we could make ourselves laugh we might be able to make somebody else laugh but that's as far as it ever got yeah. well and that's the thing there's a there's a definite market for that as you know sometimes yeah. you know these, 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 these shows you know aren't enough you know morning zoo crew getting zany and they're and they're not right. really enough x's and o's you know second unit power play you know zone entry right. so we're somewhere in the middle like it seems like uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know i don't know if there's a, a a niche for for where we're at or not but this is uh you know it's we're, we're authentic anyway that's for sure well that's all you can be i mean that's all that's all you want it to be um it's you know I've, i people ask me all the time do i miss broadcasting and then you know and i was like do I miss I miss the games? I miss I miss calling the game to some extent. I don't miss anything else around it. Uh, I don't miss the travel. I don't miss the hotels and the pasta and you know buffet style dinners a lot of nights and that part I don't miss at all. But uh, there's I do miss the game the the energy you get when you're calling the game and I'm have an opportunity uh, to do some games with uh, uh, Nick Merrick most likely doing some television broadcasts for the CW. Um, I'll fill in for Nick on probably four, four or five games this season. So uh, I'll still get it in my blood a little bit, but uh, I, I don't, I don't miss doing it on a nightly basis. Well, you know, I suspect that uh, most listeners of the show love that idea and love having you back in the mix in whatever yeah. capacity. And, 
even if it's not so much you know that we love Andy Kemper but maybe it's as simple as if you're in the mix that probably means a little less Mike Benton I mean you know and, and he's <laughs> he's a friend of the show as well but I mean it's uh you know it's funny when he does the the Seattle Portland games because I'm like well there's anything that Portland fans and and Seattle fans can agree on is that we need more Mike Benton in, in the mix right Oh yeah, and it's. I mean, it's. I, I feel for Mike, and I feel for Ian Furness, who, uh, who I really respect as a broadcaster. It's tough to come in and call games with teams that you haven't been watching um, regularly. Um, I mean, you can you can look at stat sheets and you can find numbers and you can find things, but it's not the same as a team that you're following adamantly and um, you know being able to you know pass along things that have you know that you've seen in person. Um, and but I, I like Mike. I, I really do. And you know, I I, <laughs> I kid him sometimes about uh, calling Portland Seattle games now, being an Everett guy. But uh, um, he's he's a, he's a fine broadcaster, and I'm happy for what he's doing with the Kraken right now. Yeah, definitely, definitely happy for him moving up to the to the pro level. And I mean, we yeah. even got got a street named after him right there at the rank. So. There you go. Well, there's a whole lot. The Benton parking lot. He's right there. Yeah, yeah I definitely gave him a hard time about that, about his his success that they, that they named, a, named things after him here, right right, right here at our rink. Exactly. And well, then you go to you go to Tri-Cities, and that's Benton County. So that's, uh, that's, that's where Kennewick is. Yeah, yeah that's, good. that's a good point. But, uh, yeah, and, you, you know, we talked, you know, Merrick's came up a couple times tonight. <laughs> and, uh, you know, again, he's been – we've talked about it on this show. He's been beneficial to uh, – to, to what I do for sure and you know when you yeah. mentioned you know calling you know when you were young and calling play-by-play just kind of to yourself you know and, and and bumming everybody out potentially around you I've I've been down you know on the glass kind of you know to like more towards the Zamboni corner the current Zamboni corner and I can still hear that man oh yeah and, he's got he's got the pipes that's for sure. Yeah, and I give him a hard time about it, and you know it's and, and you know it's all in good fun. But it, like I don't know, like y- you might have been bumming out whoever's around you, but probably not that bad, at least not in in comparison to uh, <laughs> to, to, to the current voice of the Winter Hawks. Uh, he's he's uh, larger than life in a mul- many ways, um, and just a joy to be around. I love spending time with Nick, and he's, he's got. Always a smile, just a great energy about him, and um, our our broadcasting styles are night and day different. Um, I'm much more uh, just call it straight by the books and uh, up and down the ice, and not get too flashy. Uh, but he brings the flash and the and the uh, the energy that uh, is just contagious. Yeah, I mean it's apples and oranges, but it kind of reminds me when yeah Bob when I was talking to Bob Ridley on the show about you know the difference between calling games in the in the video feed era, and he's like, well, you know, before when the game was kind of boring, I kind of spice it up, and now I can't because right. you can see what I'm talking about, so I kind of have to yeah. call it different. <laughs> that was really first, funny. first rule first rule of radio, man. It's uh, you know whatever you say is gospel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully Bob's doing well in retirement, and uh, you know, yeah, I agreed. You know, award named after him. One of the best, one, one of the fine gentlemen I've got to meet throughout my history. So, so I've I've kept you for for quite some time, Andy. Do you have a uh, any other stories you want to throw out there? You've been you've been thinking about on the, the the back of your head here while we've been talking. Not no, not really. I, I think it's. I uh, appreciate you inviting me on. Uh, you know, it's 
um, I've kind of I've kind of moved into the shadows a bit in the in the arena. I'm kind of just hanging out and not uh, not really a big part of uh, the the night the day operations. But uh, I still like being involved in the team and appreciate the uh, service you provide with doing this podcast and um, you know making sure that uh, you know your listeners get an entertaining product too. So um, I just want to say you know thanks for the invite and uh, you know maybe we'll do this again sometime. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean you know anytime you can you know kind of write your own story as 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 you are at the moment and try to find the role of you know how much fan do you want to be versus how much you know yeah. involved you want you want to be where you can just kind of sit back and, and enjoy yourself and you know i hopefully you've you found that you know that uh that role that niche for your, yourself and uh and that's yeah. you know i mean it's I, the whole thing's for fun right i mean that's the whole point right right well, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, I said that if I would have been able to get rich being a broadcaster, I would have done it. Um, but uh, that you, that unless you get to the very highest levels, um, you know, of pro sports broadcasting, uh, especially TV broadcasting, you're never going to be uh, a rich man. Uh, my call in this game, but you can have a decent living for some people. But for me, it was never in the cards. I mean, I it still allows me the opportunity to go to hockey games and and be a part of that and um yeah i've kind of been able to you know determine where i want to be involved and how much i want to be involved um and the organization has respected that even with uh you know the ownership changes a couple times during that process um and uh i'll still get texts from from mike johnson every now and then asking me about things or to to take a look at uh things to to make sure that they have it right for whatever they're working on for maybe some uh, things happening uh, you know around the locker room and stuff um, but uh, you know being able to kind of write my own um, story as you say is, is is a huge part of why I'm en- I'm enjoying it so much right now that's good yeah I like it and uh, yeah I appreciate your kind of words about the the show Andy and you know yeah. I mean with uh, without guests like yourself I mean it's kind of you know the, we wouldn't we wouldn't be here so uh, so right. I mean you're your your power in this episode and i appreciate that no 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 problem at all okay cool i'll see you around the rink i will be there all right thanks andy good night